Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Episode 81, Where I Like to Fish. So I have a few times in the 81 episodes reached out in various ways and solicited ideas and things that people would like to hear in the podcast. And I did so on Instagram recently and I got some great responses. And one of those is, where do you like to fish? So I feel like if you read everything I write on castingacross.com, and I don't expect everyone to read everything, I, I understand and anticipate that there's some people who simply consume the podcast. And that's fine. That's one of the reasons why I do it, hit a totally different audience. But if you read everything going back virtually five years now, then it's pretty clear where I love to fish. Uh, it's the places where I grew up. And I think that's pretty consistent for all of us. And so, but I, w- I want to kind of get away from those things. But to, to establish that as my frame of reference or as my baseline, I did want to mention it. So I would say first and foremost, oh boy, that's even hard as I say it. I don't know if I want to say that. I would say it's equal between Pennsylvania's Cumberland Valley, so the Yellow Breaches Creek, uh, Latorte Spring Run, Big Spring Creek, and then a bunch of other various streams. There's even some warm water that is in that area that uh, is is top-notch, but of course it kind of plays second fiddle to those famous trout streams. So that's where I learned to trout fish, that is where I learned to fish spring creeks, that is where I learned to love fly fishing history, and I learned to get involved in conservation, and I learned to really be part of a fly fishing culture. That's why that matters so much to me, and that's why I talk about it so much. But again, I've already talked about why you should fly fish the Cumberland Valley in another podcast episode. So check that out. And I'm scratching the surface and inevitably I'll return to that. But that is, I would say that 1A, 1B is the Shenandoah. 
not the river itself, and of course the Shenandoah is three rivers, um, the North Fork, South Fork, and then the main stem when they come together, but then also the trout streams on either side of it. And in a day, you can fish for trout on a spring creek, you can fish for smallmouth in the river, and you can fish for brookies in the mountains. And everything is within very close proximity to each other, and it's a beautiful area, wonderful history, delicious barbecue. But I've also done a podcast all about why you should fly fish in the Shenandoah. And so that's back there in the archives. And once again, only scratching the surface. But like I said, if you read a lot of the website, I kind of revisit those two places because those are not only my angling heritage and angling home, but that is in many ways where my heart is. But I wanted to add something more to the dialogue. I wanted to add something new and uh, talk a little bit about other places where I've fished and whether that just give you perspective on what I have to say and what I have to write, or it's where you fish, and maybe you get a little bit of insight on why I like fishing there, or someplace you've never gone before, then maybe that can be of value to you. The first one that popped into my head is the Driftless. So if you're not familiar with the Driftless, the Driftless is that area where Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and Illinois kind of come together, and it's called the Driftless because they theorized that it was spared from the glacial drift at whatever post-Ice Age uh, time frame they're talking about. And you can certainly see it in the sense that it is very hilly. It's remarkably lush, and the limestone influence is very apparent. Now, again, I grew up fishing in south-central Pennsylvania, which is hilly, limestone-influenced creeks. And this was very similar to that. When I've been up there, it is so cool because it's very similar but very different. And I really enjoy that. I've talked about that before with brook trout fishing where a stream in South Carolina feels like a stream in New Hampshire, but at the same time, they're, they're very different and the fish are very different. But the same thing can be said to the driftless. Now, I've fished exclusively in Wisconsin driftless, but I know a lot of people who love Minnesota, Iowa, and then people who are even all about trying to find those trout in northwestern Illinois. But it is very quaint. And I mean, how often do you use that word? But it is. It's it's intimate. The rivers are small, but there are trout all over the place. And I love that about any area in, in general, but about the Driftless in particular, because wherever you drive, wherever I drove, maybe I just hit all the right places. You find little creeks, little trickles, and there might be just five, six inch brook trout in them, or there might be larger fish, bigger brown trout in there. But it's fun because you're fishing spring creeks, you're fishing in places where you have varied environments. There's meadows, there's thick canopied um, woods sections, there are farms, there are little towns. It's a really cool area. And I mean, there's supper clubs. How are you going to argue with supper clubs? And that's where you can find the pink squirrel, the pink squirrel being a cocktail. I've actually never had the uh, honor of imbibing, but the pink squirrel fly is uh, a supper club beverage inspired fly that uh, kills in the driftless. Well, another reason is that you're only a few hours outside of Chicago. And I think anytime you can find a really wild and profitable fishing option within a few hours of a major metropolitan area, it is just a treasure. So 
if you are in the Midwest, it's not that hard to get to. I mean, that's one of the great things about being in the Midwest is that there's a lot of straight roads and there's not a lot of traffic if you're not getting by the cities. But Wisconsin has a cool culture. As a guy who was born in Illinois and lived there for about 13 years and is a Bears fan, then there are some less than savory elements of being in Wisconsin. But I like cheese. I like bratwurst. Spotted cow is worth all the hype. And it kind of feels like that that home feeling for me, whereas I really do identify the Mid-Atlantic as kind of where I, I grew up in my teenage years. Being in the Midwest feels like when I was little and, uh, you know, where my, my uh, extended family still is. So Wisconsin's Driftless is a great place. It is a fun place to be. There's a lot to do up there. It is a great family destination. I've taken my family there. And we've gotten a cabin that's on a trout stream, incredibly reasonable. I mean, you know, I'm talking outside of Boston now. So uh, to get out to the Midwest and to rent a cabin on the banks of a trout stream that was just excellent every morning and every evening, uh, economically, it was very, very doable. And it was a lot of fun. And there's just a lot of things for the kids to do both on the property and um, in the towns. And so we, we really had a, a very good time out there. So I really enjoy that. And because you do get a lot of those parallels between the spring creek fishing that I'm used to. So it's technical fishing. Sometimes other times, I mean, I was catching brookies on mice in the middle of the night. I was just throwing whatever nymphs. Actually, I take that back. I was throwing whatever nymphs, and I wasn't catching anything. Put on pink squirrels. I started catching things. But uh, it's it's quasi-technical fishing. It really is. I mean, the Spring Creek fish, fish that may potentially be pressured in some places, are going to take a little bit more finesse and a little bit of thought. So I would absolutely, again, uh, suggest checking that out. If you're in Chicago for business and you have a day to kill, then you can go up there and get into some spring Spring Creek fishing, and it's beautiful, and it's fresh, and it's clean, and uh, there's cheese. So check that out. Next on the list is Maine, specifically the Maine rivers in the north and western part of the state that have big brook trout in them. Now these are not easy to get to. I look on the map from where I live in in New England, uh, north of Boston, and I feel like oh, I should be there in a couple hours. Well, if there was a highway to these places, it would get me there in a couple hours. But you can't. You have to take lots of secondary highways. You have to take a boat. You have to really be at a lodge uh, overnight to even make the trip worthwhile. But once you get there, they are worthwhile. And there are big, big brook trout. So the rivers aren't secrets themselves. The Rapid, the Penobscot, the Roach, the Galloway, the Wild. I mean, there's a lot of rivers up there that, you know, you read any book about the best trout fishing in New England or the best brook trout fishing in the country, and these are going to make the list. And there's numerous other ones that are probably off those books that produce just as well, but if you want to get into a big, thick brook trout, these are the places to do it. And they are very wild. They are big, rugged rivers, and along with brook trout, there's other things that are in there, but uh, this is east coast, northeast, fly fishing that has been preserved. Now, has it experienced difficulties from invasive species like smallmouth bass? Well, absolutely. Have there been mismanagement of the fisheries? Have there been mismanagement of the other resources, specifically logging and dams being put in? All of those things are true. Yet in spite of those detrimental impacts, there's still excellent trout fishing to be had if you work for it. 
and working for it, thankfully, really involves a, a, a moderate amount of time and money. Um, this isn't necessarily the kind of place where you can just drive up there and do a DIY trip simply. Is it doable? Absolutely. You need a little bit of time and initiative, but you're going to put a little bit of effort into it. But once you get there, the lodges are first rate. The main lodge culture, I still haven't figured it out. I've talked to some guys that run main lodges, and a couple people have said, you know, I don't even... I don't even know why main lodge culture is what it is. Uh, it's something I'm interested in. And so if anybody owns or runs a main lodge, I'd be happy to come and check it out and you can tell me all about it. But uh, it's it's this real family-oriented, um, down-home, all-inclusive, kind of that line between classy and rugged uh, experience that is very charming and of course that is just the backdrop for getting out to these big fish and another cool thing about it is it's not just these big rivers where you can get a big fish but there's often ponds and i haven't done a whole lot of that i have caught fish on canoes and on kayaks in ponds up in maine and uh, in northern new hampshire uh, trolling flies uh, fishing dries stripping streamers for brook trout and it's a whole untapped facet of brook trout fishing that I would love to explore because it's combining a couple of different things that uh, I'm, I feel like I'm okay at, but to see them all come together would be really cool. And that's, I guess, kind of like I said, that the Spring Creek uh, continuity between my South Central Pennsylvania and the Driftless kind of makes that attractive. I would say the fact that I feel like my strong suit is brook trout fishing on mountain streams so this is a whole different ballgame. So some of these rivers that I mentioned, they are relatively fast. They have some gradient to them, but they're big rivers. And so consequently, the brook trout get big. The landlocked salmon get to decent sizes. So I'm fishing for these brook trout that are three times the size of the normal brook trout I catch on a river that's three times the size of the normal river that I fish and three times the distance that I have to travel to get there. So it's this cool uh, take on something that I'm very familiar with. And I think there's a lot of uh, enjoyment and appreciation that I get from taking something that has a lot of similarities to something that I'm familiar with, but then either flips it on its head a little bit or maybe makes it bigger or smaller. And that does a few things. One, it is a good segue to a broader appreciation of what's out there. You know, you say, well, I'm used to this lane that I stay in. Well, look at how there's actually a much, much bigger perspective on brook trout fishing. For some of these guys and, and women that fish up there all the time, my idea of brook trout fishing is potentially foreign. So to understand that we're both pursuing the same little char or big char in their case, but we do it in very different ways is really cool. And uh, I would say the other thing is it's a nice easy pathway. I know how brook trout behave. These might behave differently, but they're still brook trout. I know how rivers that kind of tumble down boulders behave, but this is a lot bigger. So how can I adjust my technique to really prove my uh, ability as an angler and grow my ability as an angler? So Maine brook trout fishing is a whole lot of fun and is uh it's, again, not easy to get to. Now, of course, I've never been up into Canada, north of that, into Labrador, but, you know, you've seen the pictures, and this takes us up an entire other notch where you're fishing with patterns where the, the, the streamers are the size of the brook trout that I catch down here when I'm fishing these little tiny streams that have remnant populations of native brookies. But that's for another day, and that's something I'm looking forward to doing.
All right, my last water is actually a, a category. I will give two specifics. Big southern warm water rivers. Big southern warm water rivers. And the two that spring to mind immediately are the Arkansas River, kind of in and around Little Rock, and the Congaree River uh, outside of Columbia, South Carolina. Now, the cool things about these rivers is that they are just unpredictable. I mean, you could be fly fishing and catch a big catfish. You might catch a striped bass. You might catch a trout in, in, in the Columbia um, Congaree example. Uh, there are going to be white bass. There are going to be largemouth. There's going to be smallmouth. There's going to be gar. There's going to be all sorts of fish, and you have no idea what you're going to catch. You could be fishing the exact same fly and catch two or three different species in sequence with one another. So... I, I think it's a lot of fun to just go out there and fish a maybe three-inch clouser or even a, you know a bigger woolly bugger and pull it through these holes at different speeds. And you might even find that you know you strip it slowly and bounce off the bottom and you get into catfish or you throw it into the, the, the bank and you get a carp or you pull it across the top and, and a, a white bass or a striper hybrid comes up and gets it. And you have absolutely no idea what's going to be coming out of there. And some of the things may very well be terrifying, especially because both of these situations, uh, outside of Little Rock, outside of Columbia, are urban settings. And so it's it's a wild scene. I mean, you're there with people who are sunbathing on rocks, and you're people with there with bait buckets, and you're seeing what they're catching, and they're seeing what you're catching, and it's a really different vibe than those Pennsylvania rivers that I fished on, or even the uh, trout rivers in northern Arkansas. Just a, It's a very different scene. And it's good, and it's refreshing. You're just casting and retrieving. But what separates those rivers and, and dozens of other rivers across the south from other larger rivers that I fish, like, for example, the Susquehanna or the Shenandoah, love those rivers, love that you can get into a couple different species, and they, they do have some bigger toothy critters. But, man, down south, the opportunity to get into some truly big, weird fish is uh, second to none. And the fact that you might have your six weight out there and all of a sudden you are pulling on a big striped bass that's decided to get a bad mood in it or maybe even a really big catfish that was feeling aggressive as you were pulling a size uh, two watt uh, white clouser through a deep uh, pool below a dam. You know, you never know what you're going to get. And to me, that's a lot of fun. It's a, it's, it's a throwback to when you start fishing. Like, you don't know what's in there. You don't know enough to know what you're going to catch. And so in your mind, it's going to be something. It's going to be anything. And there's a lot of thrill and there's a lot of wonder when you pull that fish up. I feel like that's what you get in some of these really big rivers, whether they be tailwaters or whether they just be, um, you know, larger unobstructed rivers down south, which not a whole lot of unobstructed rivers anywhere. But there's fish that move around and they're going to be in different places and you're going to be surprised and you can't beat that. You don't get a lot of surprises in trout rivers. You kind of have to make them up. Like, oh, wow, this fish is a little bit different color than the last one, which is cool in its own right, but it's not anywhere in the same ballpark of, uh, okay, I just caught a bowfin or I just caught a, a paddlefish or something like that. So those are three places that I enjoy fishing that have been very influential in the way I fish and how I fish and how I see fly fishing. And they are places that I compare things to in my head. So here's my question to you. Uh, where do you fish? Where have you fished, I should say, that is very different from where you normally fish, 
but you really enjoyed it and it has widened your angling perspectives. So, you know, come at me with your, you know, Christmas Island and your Mongolia and all those exciting places when I'm saying fish the Congaree River in South Carolina. But I would just say that those places are cool because they are just a little bit of a deviation from my normal fly fishing. And so I appreciate that. And it does grow my perspective and it grows me as an angler and an appreciation of fly fishing culture. This week on Casting Across, the first article was a rusty fly box called Home. So again, rusty fly box is me putting out a few articles that I've had in the past, usually do on holidays. So this is Memorial Day. So three articles, um, one was about uh, some misadventures in the salt. Another was about finding rivers that you fished, but that you've forgotten you'd fished. That's another kind of fun topic. But then there was one um, called You Can Go Fish Home Again. This might be one of the better articles I've written. So if you have any desire to check anything out, check that out. So if you go to Rusty Flybox Home, which will pop up on the website if you're listening to this anytime um, around when uh, it was released, which is May of 2020, uh, you'll see Rusty Flybox Home. And then the first article is You Can Go Fish Home Again. Some of the better writing I've done, and I don't toot my horn much, but I think that's, uh, that's a really good piece that hopefully will um, resonate with you in some way. Second one is called Falling into Fly Fishing Perspective. So last week, I alluded to the fact that my quarantine life has been very good, and I've actually been, if anything, a little bit proud about how good it has been. Well, Mother's Day, I was doing something stupid and um, doing something I tell my kids not to do, climbing a tree using slide-on shoes, and I slipped, and I fell, and I really tore up my ankle. It didn't break, but it's the worst, nastiest sprain I've experienced probably ever, but I'm not as young as I used to be. So it's probably the same sort of damage I would have done 15 years ago. It just hurts worse. So what this has led me to do is think about what I can't do and some very simple ways. Like for example, wear wading shoes that don't have ankle protection. There's no way I'm going to do that now. I'm probably not going to be able to do it in a month. It's I struggle walking down hills. So I can't walk down a stream bank. I can't wade on an uneven surface at present. Um, even some casting is uncomfortable. So that has made me think, okay, how often do I tell people in my writing, in my, in my podcasting, hey, just go do this, when if there is a mobility issue because of age or injury or disability or something like that, it's just not feasible. And the things that I take for granted, I've taken granted for a long time, are just not the same kind of experiences that others have. So it's given me some of that perspective. And and not to stop suggesting these things, because I would say the vast majority of people are able to do most things, but there are alternative ways of coming at things that I'm thinking about now as I'm going to get to a better place with my recovery where I'm able to get back on the water more, and I'm going to have to make some accommodations. And uh, so I've been thinking about that, and I think it's been a good thing. There's, there's always a good thing. These things that are bad always get used for good as you focus on it the right way. Here's my recommendation for this week on the podcast. Risen Fly Fishing, who I've talked about a number of times on the podcast because I use a lot of their gear and uh, good people that run the Risen Fly Fishing company, has opened a fly shop. They opened a fly shop in the midst of the shutdown. And they're doing well because they've got good stuff and they provide great customer service. So their shop is in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, which is north of Pittsburgh. But if you're nowhere near that area, still go to risenfly.com and you can get a little bit of information about their fly shop there as well as on social media. But I'm not going to kind of go on and on about Risen Fly. I think it just says something about people 
and a company when they can be doing things the right way such that they can open and do well during the ridiculous economic situation that we've been experiencing for the past three months. So check out Risenfly. If you're in Western PA, Eastern Ohio, if you're on your way through there, stop in Beaver Falls, uh, tell Ryan I said hi, and uh, definitely check out what they have to offer. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. 